0: Did you just make him type faster? We always used to say, type faster, right? Because that's what programming is. It's just typing. Just type faster, man. I've been there, man. Yes. <laughs> I've been there with a dude literally yelling, type faster.
1: Dude. That's Dirk Elmendorf, San Antonio resident, startup advocate, commercial landlord, truckingoffice.com technical muscle, and co founder of one of the world's largest hosting companies, Rackspace. You're listening to the SA Launch Pod a podcast about starting a business that helps start other businesses by activating space and communities. I'm Stephen Quintanilla, co-founder and fleet admiral of spacecadet.io, an online marketplace that lets you rent commercial space for one month or less from local landlords and businesses. This is the first episode of a four-part mini-series where we hope you are able to learn, help us spread the word about Space Cadet, and be inspired to go off and try your own idea. Our goal with this is to help tell our story by telling the stories of the people who use Space Cadet, make up our crew, and the people who have encouraged and inspired us in a way that represents a peek into the life of a tech startup in San Antonio. We have no idea how this story is going to turn out. We're riding it along every day, day by day. I'm a San Antonio native, born and raised, went to the John Jay High School, first graduating class of the Science Academy, lived in Boston for 10 years, then Austin for a year, and I've been back here for three and a half years now in San Antonio. I genuinely believe that we're in the middle of a cultural renaissance, and you see it across the city in all sectors and segments of the life that we lead here. I've never done a podcast before, and even though I've spoken to hundreds and thousands of people at a time... I'm human and I get nervous too and one of the days that I was recording and thinking about what I was going to be working on, I asked my wife Sabrina, you know, was, was she nervous for me? What did she think, you know, being as she's around me so often? Um,
2: no, I'm not nervous for you at all. I, um...
3: You're really, you're a talker. You're a natural talker. You're great at talking. And you're a great storyteller. So I I just think you're a natural. I don't really think you have anything to be worried about. The only thing I worry about is that um, you're getting too excited and you're already feeling like you're behind. But you're not behind. This is your project. You do it at the pace that you can handle. And you're doing so many things, you're not behind. And I just feel like I don't want you to get overwhelmed or feel things that you shouldn't be feeling. Like negative things like that. Like getting behind. Because fuck that. You're doing. That's not something where you need to answer to anybody. You know? You're not behind. I just. I want it to be a pleasure for you and not um, a source of anxiety. If it gets out of hand.
1: I think that's difficult for a lot of people. I think it's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate that very much. That, and that's why i married for obviously. Listening back to that and hearing that encouragement, it's a big reason as to why I've pressed on and why you're hearing this now, why it's been released. And it makes me remember that I'm not the only one that's working on this. I'm not the only one that's doing this day in and day out. I've got a co-founder, Marvin Arnold, he's Space Cadet's fleet shipwright, and he lives in New Orleans. And for those of you who don't know what a shipwright is, it's a person who's in the trade of yacht or shipbuilding. So if I'm the guy who's steering the ship, Marvin's the guy who's building the ship. So in some circles you'd call that a CTO, and we've been buddies since we were at MIT together. and. He's quite literally one of the best people that I know.
2: Sean, we record, it's kind of like business call. We record our calls. You're being recorded just Why FYI. Are you recording? Why you
3: recording? while are roommate remaining strong?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: that, that is a real question. That is a real
2: question. Sean, just want to inform you that you're being recorded.
3: You are a very strong person. Life. You are a very resilient
2: person. Kick <laughs> ass that you took the shitty thing I built before and... Ran with it, um, no one ever does that. Very impressive, fun working with you, cool being your friend, uh, Space Cadet chill. But things keep moving forward like this, then it's all good. I mean, well, I mean, I, I, I honestly don't feel great. I'm a, I'm a little bit worried about uh, the eventuality when Space Cadet becomes successful and it starts playing a, a role in this whole share economy stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there's a a lot of unknowns there, and there's definitely uh, potential for Space Cadet to, like, improve the world, but I think there's also some risk that, um, we could potentially make things more inequitable. Um. What do you mean? Um, so, like, I I work in a co-working space, right? And I've thought, like, would I want the property to start putting places up on Space Cadet? And I'm not entirely sure at this point I would. Um, right, like, where I'm working, it's a school that burned down um, in a, like, historically black neighborhood, um, like, rooted in civil rights and all this stuff. Um, and it kind of actually got hit really hard with de- when desegregation came through because it used to be like run by like these Jewish merchants. And then when things got integrated, uh, the Jewish merchants were the only ones that would serve the black people. When things got desegregated, the market kind of opened up and this area kind of got run down, school burned down, community redevelopment firm bought it up, and of course, you know, just gentrification as usual. And so I can imagine, kind of, without more controls, if the property went up on Space Cadet, it's probably going to be more hipsters, outsiders, people like me, that are coming in um, and increasing the gentrification. Um, I don't think we're at a point yet where we can really like do anything about it or really we just don't have time to like really take those things into consideration. But I definitely think it's a risk. Um, so, like, I'm excited for, like, all the potentials that lie ahead, and uh, I'm not really sure where my theory of change lies kind of, like, generally. If it's, like, better to be kind of the the, the driving force, and hoping that you can like change things for the better as part of that, I don't know. But I'm all on I'm, I'm honestly like very reluctant about all the shared economy stuff and like I don't know even even these things we do with like Norhan or these like temporary workers. It's just—it's all new. It's all—it's interesting. I'm not sure what part it plays in the bigger picture. Well, it actually, doesn't really matter. At this point, I don't think—I don't think any of it matters. It's just about cranking something out and getting to a point where it, it's actually important to—we actually make sense to worry about this bigger picture things. Uh, at this point, we just need to get stuff up and running. There's no sense in in worrying about all that stuff. I think for me, I, I like I'm I'm still not over this first till yet, so I'm just like really focused on like getting this beta out and then lifting my head up out the sand and thinking what's next. Um, I'm not talking about like a three month horizon, but just like another week or two until the website's up and funding's locked down. Um, until then, it's it's still just too early for me to be thinking about. Like, honestly, I'm still just like in the mode of like pumping out product, learning technical stuff. I, I think that like Space Cadets growth is kind of like mirroring Year's growth in general. Um, And I think, like, initially I was trailing stuff a little bit. I was, like, obviously trailing stuff because I was learning things. Um, But now I, I feel like I'm starting to figure things out about the same time as, like, the more general Meteor community. So, like, I independently found, like, realized that there was a shift to different routing packages before all that happened. But I think, like, generally we, once this, like, next push is done, we need to yeah, step back a bit and and regroup, why a lot of what's going on, at least with me personally, is I've been trying to figure out, you know, like, what I want to do with my life and all these different things, and I think the more recent phase has been this, like, kind of startup, the startup phase, and I think I probably over-glamorized it in my head, um, and was, you know, like, there's the, like, more, like, Elon musk type of way of looking at it that, you know, we're really doing solar stuff and electric cars and all these things that are saving the world. And, you know, coming from MIT, there's a lot of desire to see technology used in that way. And so when I first started looking at things like YC or 500 Startups, you want to, like, Push that meaning onto the startup world. I think a lot of that—that's not there, right? Like, VCs are like straight money-making machines, um, and you can see it with all this like kind of social startup talk. Like, no one really knows what these socially conscious startups are really supposed to be, how to value them, where they fit, and. I think Space Cadet could be cool and offer a lot of value to society, but it also has the potential to just be, like, another startup that offers some kind of, like, more capitalistically central value. And right now, because we've been so focused on, like, getting product out there, like, it's kind of a blank slate, and that's real interesting. And now I think it's up to us to, like, take that blank slate and either you know, just kind of like blindly build a big successful company around it or or find the more compelling story, which I don't really think we found yet.
1: Marvin's one of my trusted friends. And it's obvious that he's a pretty smart dude, too. So when I listen to that, even now, it, it really makes me wonder how we're going to successfully tell the story of what it is we're really working on. You know, in the beginning of the episode... We heard a clip from Dirk Elmendorf. He's a startup advocate. He's a trucking off his technical muscle. And he's co-founder of the world's number one managed cloud computing company, Rackspace. I wanted to get some feedback from him. And I interacted with him over the last couple of years I've been back. And he'd always been someone that was willing to provide that feedback and just give you genuine, down-to-earth, here's what I think but from a very hyper-intelligent perspective. So, I stopped by, scheduled some time, and I met with Dirk and his brother Brett. We went by their their Lime Lab, as they call it. And Brett's also extremely intelligent. Great feedback, and we've had some amazing conversations you know, just stopping by and talking about the things that we're working on. Keep in mind that I'm in San Antonio and Marvin's in New Orleans. So for us to have a group meeting at this point in time involved one laptop so that we could show the Space Cadet website and the other laptop so that we could have Marvin on Google Hangout. And this is all while I'm recording our conversation on my Galaxy S6. So, we pretty much were a startup, bootstrapped from the get-go.
0: Everyone is a renter. You just rent it from the government and then you rent it from the landlord. That's how it works. And if you ever don't believe that, don't pay your taxes and watch oh. what happens. <laughs> All right. Are you speaking from hand experience? I've, I've seen some people question that. I'm like, I don't, think that's a, I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> I, I pay the man, I like my road. So the first part is, is that is completing is the transaction. And then the next ring out is facilitating what you need to, to get to that transaction, right? So that's how do they find it? How do they decide if they're in? How do you decide if they're good enough? How do you exchange stuff? How do you make sure all of that stuff is ready? and then you get to the transaction right mm-hmm. and so then the level out, the ring outside of that is how do you attract more people to the space that you have you know that you have right? promoting the possibility of transaction right you have this kind of you started the very heart which is if you cannot exchange money there's really literally no reason to promote this shit yep. right so now that you can exchange money it's like okay what are the things that make exchanging money easier by making it easier to get people in and then you keep going out and kind of from that Does that make sense? Okay, so I was trying to figure. out, So right now you're right in that middle part of like okay yeah exactly you collected the money. So then then the second part you end up going okay how do we facilitate the preview the exchange of keys or access those sorts of things and the whatever other rigmarole you have to do around after you pay is there like. Now we were texting, you were talking about, hey, if you add value-added services of electricity, like, is there any concept in here of you use the space and you do something and we need more money out of you? And then, and so I guess, what else do you have on your map then? I mean, what is your next, what are you working on right now? Uh, Right now, I'm mostly working on the front end, Mark. The, like, back end stuff is mostly done. Uh, Right now, it's really just getting the design up and linking it to Mark. And pushing this thing out within the next like week or two Oh, okay okay so so you're really trying to finish you're trying to finish getting this this kind of 1.0 version of payment out Yeah. okay so that's one thing i didn't see from the kind of quick preview is how do i start at the right geographic area you mean i'm in austin i want to rent in austin how do i make sure i go yeah. to the austin section versus i'm going to the san antonio section or not Yeah. Whatever metroplex you're headed to. Like, it didn't seem like the UI has that idea yet that you're going to have... It doesn't. ...geographies. Okay. Yeah. Right, so... You have have what? Two two months. Two months, yeah. Two months, exactly. Okay. So, I mean, what's your biggest struggle in this thing? I mean, it sounds like you have a version, you have designs for what's coming next, but you don't quite have the resources to do it, so you're going to get there when you get there. But, I mean, what is the... I guess, what's your... What do you consider your biggest concern? Don't you just make him type faster? We always used to say, "Type faster, right?" Because that's what programming is—it's just typing. Just type faster, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've been there, man. Yeah, I've been there with the dude literally yelling, "Type faster, dude!" Right now, Space Cadet is only in San Antonio, right? Yeah. And then, are you thinking of expanding outside San Antonio, or is it just? Oh a...
1: yeah. Okay. Next move is Austin. Um, <laughs> for us, we need more help on like with Marvin on the dev side of things. Yeah. But. We'd also like to be able to scale out a little more on our support and our onboarding, mm-hmm. so that we can start to get more inventory, which leads to a sales force. So we, we need someone to help us with sales too. Like, I can't do all the selling, I mean, like, you know, I'm always real amped up, obviously, um, which is why I like to train, you know, and then you get too front because it kind of like... <sighs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> so there's that piece, and then uh, a marketing side of things, right? Just Banning out our plan, our, our go-to-market.
0: But my my advice if you're looking for like onboarding and that selling stuff for intro level is look for people who did work in call centers. Yeah, they have reasonable salary expectations, and they were not treated like human beings. And so, if you do treat them like human beings, they're appreciative, but they're not afraid of the phone and spending time with people. Actually, we've had to untrain, like people from like being too quick to get off the phone. It's like, no, spend time. It's okay to spend time. It's, got you. You're not being measured on how many calls you complete at this moment. We got, it's, but that it, that it can be very affordable as for what you're trying to do since it's not a bag and sale. Right. Brett, you've been quiet. You got any, you got it. this is your moment for Clarembop. Uh, well, my
1: stuff is So that's right out how you take them
4: off? Like if you have a
0: lot. And how do you chop up a lot to have sub pieces of a lot that you're renting? And it's all also related to that off time piece that Dirk mentioned. Um, just kind of like inventory management, um, you get into these like weird cases where you want to both list the entire property, but you also want to chop it up. Yeah, and trying to account for that gets really tricky adding um, the off days or whatever. So I think for the moment. We're just letting the landlord list whatever they want, and then they approve what they want. We'll see how it's actually being used, and then try to come up with a smarter inventory management from in there. Yeah, because I mean, the main thing for most I mean, like, they're trying to maximize their yield. Yeah. So they're trying to figure out, did I make Did this building make enough for what it needs to for the time it has? Yeah, I mean, so that, I mean, inevitably that's a big, that's going to become a big part of your life. It's something to understand. Oh yeah, you only rent, um...
4: I was, I was thinking about, uh, so I did a corporate apartment that I rented.
0: Basically, he had to manage a number of pending potential rentals. Some of them which never went through. He also had this thing where since I was renting the property, I could extend my rental at any time, but then that would punt the people he had lined up, you know, to come in after me. Well, because what ends up happening is is the the way you make money as a landlord is having renters. 100% full. 100% full, 100% of the time. And yeah, and that shit's complicated to make work out, right? Because there's a lot, it's like, for example, he was able to negotiate, well, I negotiated. If you <laughs> cut me a break on the price, then I would guarantee I would do it for
4: three months. Gotcha. So then he took that because that filled his spot for three months. You know, he had other people who made it done a month at a the time, they weren't
0: guaranteed. Got Gotcha. And it was worth it for, for three months. Even on the short term, it looks like he lost, you know, bucks <laughs> <Unfortunately>, <laughs> it, you
1: know, wouldn't it wouldn't to be fun. Yeah. If I for it. it's <laughs> it's true. It's complicated. That's so why you need software. for it. It Should be a T-shirt.
0: On the other side, it's like you have a problem and you apply software, and you have two problems. I have two. <laughs> um, you type faster. I guess that's why I end up looking at the yield stuff. Because if you go look, if you actually can help the landlord understand that if he rents it three or four days, he's actually making enough money that it's okay, um, then that's you know that's awesome. It's easy to know things are working out when you have a year lease, right? It's harder when you're stringing all that stuff together. That's always where the gap is. Yeah. Because they don't have enough money to buy a system. So then maybe I wonder, like we see this in the trucking piece too, is there a way to help the landlords make sure that they are making money on their property? Well, so you could have them enter a little bit of a cost structure
4: so then they know what numbers they need to
0: hit. You do a reverse calculation, so you go, look, here's how much property taxes you're going to owe this year on the property okay. and any other maintenance, like you do a little bit of cost and then go, okay, now we're going to chew into that with the, the income stream you're getting to see how far off you are on that. So just help them do a little bit of planning. So when you go, by the way, if, you, if the prices you've set you have to rent 65 days, you have to rent 600 days this year for you to actually cover your costs.
1: Gotcha. You know
0: what I'm saying? Yeah. But on the other hand, the the warehouse, the industrial space is cheap, so it may represent an equal amount of square footage, right?
4: So the same idea, if you can help the landlord ensure his success, then you also stay your customer
1: Every time I've left from hanging out with Dirk and Brett, I've always felt like I left smarter, but I've also felt like I still had a ton more questions and learning to do as well. This time in particular, they brought up some very good points, things that we were definitely going to have to keep in mind. And that just meant that the story, the real work was just beginning. It's odd to say that now, with all that's happened over these last several years, since we first started tinkering with the idea, when it was just an idea that began in three-day startup at Geekdom, that morphed into what's now Space Cadet. Since then, we've helped dozens of businesses get going and even have a case study of our tool having been successfully used. One Saturday morning at the farmer's market here at the Historic Pearl, I caught up with another close buddy of mine, Mitch Hagney, co-founder and CEO of Local Sprout, another local startup based here in San Antonio.
4: Well, uh, I grew up in New Hampshire. Uh, The reason I came down to San Antonio for the first time is because I went to college here at Trinity. Uh, After I graduated, I had been pitching uh, all around town and I did for a hydroponic farm. I like hydroponics because it's good for the environment in a bunch of ways, pesticide free, herbicide free, really water conservative and you can do it in the middle of the city. And so I knew that in order to solve my goals, which were primarily environmental, I needed to work in a company that could scale up to solve those important problems. Hydroponics worked out well, and after I graduated, I found an investor who backed up that vision too. So I've been in San Antonio for about seven years, Love the city, love the opportunity, and it's had a lot of good ideas and good collaborations available for me. So we had this real opportunity, which is a 16,000 square foot warehouse, and our intention was to farm in that warehouse, but we didn't have the equipment or the labor or really any of the infrastructure to make our business large enough at that time to fill up the whole warehouse. And so we had about three quarters of this beautiful space totally unutilized and the opportunity that we had was we'd like to surround ourselves with something that can produce revenue but something that works cohesively with the vision that we have for this place which is probably sustainable food or innovation or startups in general. But we didn't know exactly who needed that space and so... So we, we don't own the, the warehouse, Locust Sprout, but we had the opportunity to fill up that space. The one, the person who owns that building didn't know how to use it, didn't know how to monetize it very well, but knew that they didn't want to sell it off because it's in such a good area of town. So in order to help him and help us, we decided to take on a management role at the warehouse in exchange for not having to pay rent anymore. If we could get enough rent from other tenants in the warehouse, then we were off the hook. And so Space Cadet was the idea that came up uh, to use in order to get other folks into that space, get the revenue that we needed to subsidize our rent, and hopefully generate enough revenue to also make it worth the, the while of the business owner or the property owner. As a startup, you're always looking to cut as many costs as possible, as long as you're not diminishing your own work product. Now, it did take us a little bit of time in order to set up the... Uh, arrangement through Space Cadet and in order to get tenants within that space but our hope was and it turned out the truth was that it would cost us very little to get new tenants into that space in exchange for the cost savings that we would have on the rent that we no longer had to pay. So pretty quickly we got a whole bunch of different tenants into that space that weren't exactly synonymous or directly collaborative with Local Sprout, the hydroponic farm, but were in ethic quite similar to the startup notion that we were seeking. So Local Sprout had just established its first shipping container farm operation, and we were in the process of building out a greenhouse in partnership with the San Antonio Food Bank. We didn't have a lot of time to devote to management of other companies or anything really besides building and farming and selling all of which are taxing and difficult, especially in the middle of a city. So uh, we partnered up with Space in order to put the listing online to get these folks in. And with relatively little effort, we marked off the area that each individual tenant would have with tape and said, all right, this is your box. In your box, you may do whatever you would like. It's your, your area, and we won't do anything or say anything about anything that happens here unless it directly endangers or imperils the rest of the tenants, which didn't end up being a problem. <laughs> if I remember correctly, part of the reason why Space Cadets switched from a storage model is because of the people who wanted to store their businesses as opposed to just their stuff. Because for a long time, and even to this day, there is uh, at least one tenant that we have that just stores stuff. Uh, but it turned out that Storage space is the same as any other space, and in the same way that people use long-term storage uh, rental units for various other things, uh, like <laughs> gyms or uh, cooking or anything else, once people were told that they could use a certain amount of square footage however they wanted, they came up with things that we couldn't have possibly imagined. The bu- building began as a, an old printing press, and so just because of digital media and how difficult journalism is in general this printing press in the near east side of san antonio uh, collapsed in terms of its business model and had to sell off the the property it's as simple a building as can be imagined there are four walls and a divider in the middle and a simple roof it's just a, a pure rectangle cube and Within it, the possibilities seem to be endless. One example of something that I, I wouldn't have guessed could have emerged is a rock climbing wall. that went all the way up to the top of the ceiling. And in 200 square feet, one of our tenants decided to make that his own private gym and then began the idea of charging a membership fee for any other individuals who thought that they might be interested in using a rock wall. Now, he didn't end up uh, building out that business model at that location, but He has uh, moved forward into rock climbing wall, exercise business ventures elsewhere, and has also uh, begun using our space in a different context to base his wood and metal working shop for his handiwork. Another example is uh, someone who did old car uh, maintenance work. So as opposed to like really large grinding and welding and powerful operations, his was more of the finesse, um, the veneer, the um, wheel adjustments. Um, I don't know a ton about cars, but he was doing kind of the the more delicate work in a space where there was no real huge amount of equipment or huge amount of overhead capability. Uh, Another tenant ended up using his space to store all of his audio and visual equipment because he was doing uh, freelance um, videography. Another person has just stored uh, old, junked out Camaros and Mustangs to sell in Saudi Arabia, where he's from. And so these businesses are, are never communities that I would have directly engaged with. But the business opportunity of having space available for quite cheap and on flexible lease terms meant that they had the ability to use the space however they wanted.
1: Hearing Mitch retelling all that had happened was amazing to hear. As tool builders, we're always hoping that if at least one person can improve their quality of life, then it was worth it. And Mitch wasn't just talking about one person. He was talking about people. People who were successfully taking one step closer to their own dreams because of a tool that we'd built. Was it making a ton of money? No. Had we raised a ton of funding? No. In fact... We've bootstrapped this whole thing and haven't raised a single penny of funding. But Space Cadet was helping people and we were able to share a small part of the little victories that keep us all going. After speaking with Mitch and the Elmendorf's, I wanted to hear more from the other side of the marketplace, from the renters, the entrepreneurs, For that, I went to grab a coffee at the Historic Pearl and met up with Corey Clark, founder of CoLab, a co-working space for creatives located on San Antonio's
3: up-and-coming East Side. It it first started with um, me recognizing that I wasn't doing what I truly loved in life. Uh, I was running a landscaping company. and. It, it was just something to make easy money, and that's how I got started with the, with the company. And I was already six years into that business. Um, so in the seventh year, I decided to, to let it go and really try to figure out what I wanted to do. And I had been filming with a buddy of mine for quite some time. And I was like, well, you know what? I think I'm just gonna use some of the money I, I uh, made from selling uh, my, my equipment, my landscaping equipment, to purchase camera equipment so I'd done so and I started getting some gigs here and there and uh, I was looking for studio space and I was looking online looking on Craigslist and I, I got a response from from Steven uh, saying hey I, I have a few properties that I think would match you and I think you're gonna like the price point point." and I was like okay this sounds interesting so I met with Steven at one of the properties and instantly it was a perfect perfect match I was like it was 8,000 square feet in this space. I was able to choose, I believe, up to 7,000 that was available on that half. And so, I uh, I think I first started off with a 300 square foot space that I used for storage. Uh, in the meantime, while I figured out how I was, how I was gonna build out the studio. Well, in, um, in having the opportunity to have that much space, uh, for such a great price my mind started thinking well there's much more I can do with this and uh, it, you know being an entrepreneur your mind's always thinking well what more can you do and so I thought yeah, definitely I thought well hey maybe I can just get a few other people in and create like a, a shared studio space so we can actually get you know a lot of space and we could all just pitch in even distribution of, of cost uh, the problem with that is I did some research in that and I found that when the other photographers and videographers have done that in the past that there's always issues in one, one member of the space wanting to do something and the other member not wanting that done and wanting to do something else and nobody having complete control over the space so uh, I didn't want to go into that route. Uh, I was trying to figure something out and then I heard a story about a local space in which was built out for artists um, and because this space had a lot of artists there it drew a lot of attention from people so a lot of people started going to shows and events there but what happened over time is a little microeconomy built up there you had restaurants and bars they came in uh, and so therefore the studio space and living space of the artists that was there at this location rose and the artists were no longer able to afford to live there Uh, But of course, the business economy kept going and there were still events there, so what you had was a place that was cultivated by the artists, but yet, the very same people that built that space up were removed or dislocated from the area because they could no longer afford it. So I wanted to build this space that uh, I would be able to get artists involved, but I wanted them to feel confident and comfortable that you know they can build their businesses here, but not just build them, they can sustain them, that we weren't gonna be kicking anybody out and that we wanted to make sure that they were our priority. So you're essentially trying to empower these, these creatives and these artists. Right. I was one myself, and I figured out quickly, oh, man, it's hard to make a living being a videographer. I can only imagine being a painter and a photographer, how much harder it is for them. Uh, so I wanted to do something like that in that space. I didn't know it was going to be co-working. I kind of figured out, oh, this is co-working. Kind of after I built the business model out, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I think this is co-working so once I got the business model in and I got everything planned out I was like I need to find funding because doing this by myself out of my own expenses it just wasn't gonna happen Um, I had uh, a couple thousand a little more than a couple thousand dollars and I had a car that I was gonna sell and um, so what I did is I reached out to San Antonio photographers and San Antonio Photography and San Antonio Film on Facebook and I uh, had created a Craigslist posting and I attached that Craigslist posting into the feed of those Facebook groups. And in the Craigslist posting it said, For the first ten people that I have joined, I will offer them two hundred dollars for six months, which was the rest of the year at that time. And um that they would be able to meet me at that location. Nothing was built out, by the way. So they all met me at the location on this day, and it was ten people that had came. And so these ten people were there, and, you know, this random warehouse on the east side of San Antonio. Nothing was on the inside. Uh, I would say it was kind of sketch, but I think I presented myself (laughs) very well to them. I, you know, I showed them my ideas. I um, handed them papers that... Uh, Listed everything out the plans uh, what I was going to do with the $200 and how they would be initiated as original members uh, and then their access to the space and the different rules of the space and Nine out of the ten people joined CoLab that day Uh, So there I had you know a big push or I guess you can say I just had more money to be able to build out what I wanted to and then I sold my car So I had close to six thousand dollars to uh, to start the space uh, but if it wasn't for me really creating that craigslist that i don't know if um, colab would have ever came to fruition well first i want to go back to you saying it being a space cadet being a small part of it i would definitely say the opposite just because that really gave me the opportunity to do what i not initially envisioned but as an entrepreneur was able to envision um, but yes uh, now that I've gotten into the co-working industry I have really uh, well I've done a lot of research and almost every day I would say that I do some type of uh, research into co-working and the industry and the marketplace and really how to help entrepreneurs how to help startups and how to help creatives and artists uh, so I've now am opening up two other co-working spaces one is that one that is set to open in two weeks from now that um, a guy that I had met um, came to me and said hey do you think uh, we can do something with this space and I was like of course Uh, so long as we have the right business model and we uh, and we put in an effective plan I think we can do an amazing thing with this place so him and I became business partners and that space will be launching in uh, the next week week and a half uh, but that space is primarily for startup companies. Uh, it's it's basically a startup accelerator but we're calling it a co-working accelerator. We're going to be um, it'll be an integration of a co-working space with consulting business consulting from a professional consultant. Um, awesome. who has a consulting company. Um, and then I am working on building out another co-working space in downtown San Antonio right now as well.
1: The first time I had heard Corey recap all that he'd been able to accomplish since we first met over a year ago, I was completely blown away. It was humbling to hear him say our tool had been crucial for him in being able to do what he truly loved in life. We aren't sure where our journey will take us from here, but we know our story is just beginning. And we hope you'll stay tuned and listen in as our story continues. If you like this episode of the Launch Pod, please share the link, subscribe, tweet, or spread the word however it is you do in your world. Special thanks to our parents for all the support and patience, Sabrina Skelter on YouTube, at Sabrina Skelter on Instagram and Twitter for sponsoring our portable podcast studio, and our musical director, Mikey Vibe of Deer Vibes, for the awesome selections and recommendations. Check out their new album, The Nature Of, at DearVibes.com. Our intro song was Gold Heaven by Mikey Vibe. My narration song, Still I Reach, I Think I Saw You, by Deer Vibes. Background song, Company in Our Home, by Ellis Redden. You can check them out at SoundCloud.com slash Ellis dash redden song you're listening to now is ventura by deer vibes final touches and editing done in collaboration with Corey clark of colab and you can hear more about what he's working on on instagram at colab.sa to learn more about dirk and brett's trucking backend software visit truckingoffice.com and you can hear about mitch and local sprout by checking them out at localsprout.com interested in more info on the space cadet fleet or crew check us out at space cadet.io at go space cadet on instagram and twitter and facebook.com slash spacecadet.io and you can also follow SA LaunchPod on Twitter and Instagram by following the handle at Go LaunchPod.